Well, good morning, everyone. Grace and peace. Good to see y'all. Forgive the darkness over here. Uh, we've uh, had a guy in working on the lights uh, yesterday. And you remember a few weeks ago, Sunday morning, the lights were out. So this is all connected to that. And so hopefully uh, next week, all this will be handled and taken care of, and we won't be in the dark any longer. Uh, Pastor Kurt, uh, I'm sure, sends his uh, uh, regrets. He uh, continues to recover from his surgery. Uh, I did not have it talked to him since uh, Saturday evening, uh, but then he told me that uh, things are going well, uh, progressing with his recovery, very successful surgery, and so just uh, healing up now. And so hopefully, probably not uh, next week, but the week after, Kurt will be back here with us uh, during Bible study for sure. All right. So uh, we're, we're getting into this section of the psalm. Uh, remember, there's this psalm at the end of Second Samuel that we've been in for the last couple, I guess, three weeks now. And um, <laughs> David gets into two very, I think, distinct places, especially for followers of Jesus. Jesus has, a, has quite a bit of surprising things to say about our enemies. Did y'all agree with that? It's like, whoa, who can, who can bear this teaching? Um, and a lot of times Jesus is called in the New Testament the son of David. But note, David, Jesus never calls himself that. That's other people. And we're going to get into some of that, why that is a possible conflict for Jesus uh, in our study today. But the first front end of what we're going to be looking at, it's very connected, I think, very similar uh, to another psalm that David wrote, uh, Psalm 19. Um, One of the things that I think is cool about how the psalms are structured, Psalm 1, Psalm 19, and Psalm 119. It's easy to remember that, right? They They are all psalms that focus in on the beauty and the wonder and the amazing reality of the Word of God. And how that is the thing that gives life is God's word. Uh, It's trustworthy, true, all those kinds of things. And so the psalm in 2 Samuel has pieces of Psalm 19. And so I thought we would pray through that this morning as we begin. So let's pray. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pinched a tent tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoiced to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. 
The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins, that they may not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgressions. May these words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen indeed. All right. Well, we're going to pick up in Second uh, Samuel in chapter 22, verse 31. And uh, you will notice uh, the connections from what we just prayed to what da- David says here. Um, now, in, he has a different purpose for Psalm 119 than he does in 2 Samuel 22. So he doesn't go in, in to near the detail. Or I think what he's inviting us to do in Psalm 119, he uses all of those different words to reference the Word of God. Did y'all notice that? Um, so he calls it... Uh, the law, which is Torah, there in verse 7. Um, that's Torah. The, and, and I think I've talked about this in this group before. I'm about ready to abolish whenever our translations translate the word Torah to law. Because when you think about Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, is that law from what you th- when you think about law? It's a story. That's right. It's a story. It has some laws written into it for sure, like we would think are laws, but it, it, is, it is a story about the way. And I think that's the best way to describe it, that about the way in which God is seeking to be in covenant relationship with humans, particularly the Jewish people, and how those people are called to be a blessing to the world, right? That is, it's a, it is a way of living and being in the world that is manifest in the story of God's relationship between the people of Israel and himself. So whenever I see, whenever you see law, this word is Torah, um, I, I would prefer way, uh, the way of the Lord. Uh, and then he starts using all these, uh, the statutes, the precepts, the commands, the fear. So that, that he kind of goes off course there in verse 9 a little bit to our, the way in which we react and respond to those commands, the, the way, the precepts. The fear of the Lord is an important thing. Um, this is not fear in what we normally associate with fear, uh, like being scared of God, even though that could be part of it. I mean, if you choose to not follow in God's way, there will be negative consequences for you. 
just the way it is. It's worked into the fabric of the world. But the fear of the Lord, this is my favorite definition of the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is when we choose to make God the decisive orienting center of our lives. That is the fear of the Lord. So he, it's, it's, verse 9 is kind of a response to that. So turning over to verse, uh, to verse 31, uh, David picks up on this theme. As for God, so he focuses it on God's character. He doesn't use Yahweh here. I think it's interesting. Not sure why. Um, but in the, next, in the next line, he does. As for God, his way is, what do you have? Blameless. Perfect. Yeah, it is, it is like this, this purity of way. Uh, and that word way, anybody remember what way is? We should know this in Midland. Way in Hebrew. What do you, we use to drill oil wells? Derek. That's right. Derek. Spelt different. Uh, but yeah, the name Derek means way. So, so, so you can think about it in this way, that the way of the Lord is what minds that, that gives energy, that gives life. Derek. The way. <laughs> The Lord's word, and here he makes the switch to, to Yahweh, uh, the Lord's word is flawless. So we got flawless, blameless, uh, and perfect, kind of all that tied up into one. He shields, protects all who take refuge in him. So ponder that for a second. And he's going to continue to un- unpack that as we go through, this, through the next few verses of the psalm here. How do we practically take refuge in the Lord? Okay, what do you think? Put you on the spot this morning. Oh, that's good. Pretty good, Kate. What else? And, and, and let me ask this. Listen to what? That's right. That's good. And one of the things I think we're quick to to forget is, you know, for Christian history, only about a quarter of Christian history have people been able to actually read the Word of God. And so we were dependent on going to going to church going to listen to the priest, going to, uh, or and then before the church, going to the synagogue, to in, in the synagogue, at the center of the synagogue. Uh, has anybody ever been to a synagogue before? It's really a cool experience uh, because it's, it's like, oh, this is kind of gives us a sense of who, who we should be. Well, let me ask this. Like in our sanctuary, what is at the very center of the worship, the, the front of the worship space? The Bible is. That's right. So it's the same thing. With the synagogue, the, there's these scrolls, the first five books of the Bible, in scroll form are there. They're up front, right? And so uh, uh, that, is, that is how we take refuge in God is that we are still and we quiet and we choose to listen. And biblically speaking, Kay, listening is two things. It's allowing the Word of God to touch your ears and then move to your soul. 
which then causes you to live your life in a new and different way. So you can hear the scripture, but it, you can allow it not to affect your life. Taking, allow, uh, taking refuge in God, it takes you through the whole process, right? Doesn't mean that bad things are not going to happen to you, uh, clearly. But it seems as if that we will be in a position to withstand those bad things a lot better. What are your thoughts on that? What's that? On what? On anything. You have any questions or does that make sense? Like how you hear, it's like this, it is a process of hearing. I mean, we know this. It's like when we talk to our kids, listen to me. We're not just saying, listen to our words. We're actually saying, do what I'm asking you to do. Active, there you go. Very good. Active listening. <laughs> wow. Stays in this room. Well, these things are being recorded, uh, Brent. But I. There you go. Yeah, I understand what she, Elena called me out yesterday. She has she has all of these these huge ideas for this project um, that she's involved in, and uh, she was telling me all about it. And she was going. She was so animated. She said, "She said, and I see you shutting down right now." <laughs> it's, it's what she said to me, and I'm like, "You know me often because it's like because it's like with idea people." You know, like, and she's definitely one of them. With idea people, they have all these ideas. And then who's left to implement them? Me. Oh, gosh. Help me, Lord. So thanks for letting me get that out, uh, Brent. All right. For who is God? Verse 32. So this is David's uh, way of saying, this is why we should... Take time, Cade, to actually listen, take to heart, and put into practice the Word of God. For who is God besides the Lord? There he uses both both words again. Uh, that's L. That's the that's the oldest uh, word for God in the in the Scripture is L. Uh, for who is God besides Yahweh? And who is the Rock except our God? So, uh, why a rock? Uh, why, why does David use this word, uh, rock? Well, again, in Israel, one thing that is totally abundant is rocks. I mean, we know this. Uh, the poor Palestinians, that's all, all the weapons that they have is rocks, and they use them to throw them at the, at the Israelis, right? And so uh, a rock is something that is strong, a rock is unchanging, a rock is certain. And I think that's why David is uh, quick to use that. I think it's a metaphor. Uh, there are some things that we assume are metaphors that are actually not, but I think in this case it certainly is a metaphor. All right. 
Notice how David is orienting in this part of the psalm. He is orienting his life, or it's, he's hoping to orient his life in God. And I think there's going to be a change in that here in just a second. It is God who arms me with strength. So if he says that, what is he also saying? But, but I'm strong from where? From God, that's right. And that he's, he's saying that uh, it is God, who, that, that I don't create my own strength. I mean, that's, that's the, uh, the temptation from the beginning, that Adam and Eve felt like that they could get an advantage if they chose to wander out of God's design and will for their life. That they could create their own strength. No. Strength is something that God gives. And that when we orient our life in God, that is something that grows in us. Is strength. We, we like strength. We like to feel like that we have, we have uh, some agency. God gives us agency, but it comes from Him. And, second part of that, verse 33, and keeps my way secure. This is a foundational, basic desire of all human beings is this need and desire to feel safe. Now, some people have less of that desire than others. Um, according to the choices they make, they're kind of, of uh, haphazard in the way they live their life. But nonetheless, there's this sense, a desire for security. There's four S's. Um, that people talk about that we all have these basic desires for. We have this desire to feel seen, safe, secure. And what's the last one? Have these all... Anybody remember the last one? I talk about this every once in a while. Nobody remembers. So y'all forget just like me. Seen, safe, soothed. Soothed. Seen, safe, soothed, and secure. There you go. Seen, safe, soothed, and secure. Soothed. Just like peace. Yeah. yeah. So David is making the case that it is God who provides those things. Verse 34. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. Any deer hunters in the room? What are the what are the basic characteristics of deer feet and what they do? Hmm? They're clothing, but what, how do they work for the deer? Come on, they slow or they fast? The fast. Say that again. They are whatever they need at the time, right? To do what? Maintain. <laughs> Maintain it. That's right. To keep themselves secure. Like when you, I mean, that's when we see deer using, I mean, not when they're just wandering out in the meadow eating the corn that y'all threw out there for them so that you can pop them, right? <laughs> but, but you know what I mean. It's like when, they're, when they are running for their life, it's like they use their feet and they're very fast, they're very strong, they can jump uh, high, all those things. Um, I think that's the reference that he's making in the context. 
that that it is God that keeps him in this place of security, like a deer's feet keeps him secure from the hunter. He causes me to stand on the heights. So again, here, David is giving God the credit, you might say, uh, for his standing as king, uh, being on on the throne. Verse 35. He... Here we go. He's still oriented in God. He trains my hands for battle. My arms can bend a bow of bronze. That's, why would you need a bow of bronze? I think it's another way of saying, man, I am strong because of God. Verse 36. You make your saving help my shield, your help has made me great. Um, there's that passage in the book of Hebrews uh, that talks about us uh, bolding, approaching God's throne of grace so that we may find what? Help. Help in time of need. There you go, Ken. So I think the writer of Hebrews is picking up on some of these points that, that David makes here in this psalm and in other places. Um, when do we need help? Always more than ever. <laughs> Did you say always, Tom? <laughs> and so let's go with that. So if we are always need help, what does that say about our lives? It's screwed up. We need guidance. We need direction. We're desperate. Help is help is basically when we are in need of help, we are desperate. Desperate people can do things that are not good. You think, Kurt? No. Come on. And so whenever you move into this place of desperation, I want you to, to, to stop, Cade, just like you're saying. That desperation can push you in two directions. Desperation can push you to take matters into your own hands. And that is not a good place. We've seen in David's life when he grew desperate. And there were times that David handled that desperation well, and he went to God. And things seemed to to go in a way that were positive. But when he took matters into his own hands, particularly with his sons, my goodness, or lack of taking, he just ignored it. And that's another way that we can, we can deal with desperation. We can just stick our heads in the sands. And, uh, but yeah, it can, it's, it's got the, the feet, you, you know what feeling desperate feels like? We all, we all, we all should have that feeling, right? What, what desperate feels like. And I think the, the uh, spiritual practice that we can work on is what are we going to allow that desperation to point us to? To point us to unholy solutions or to point us to God, right? And to point us to one of the things that we do, uh, there, it's a, it's a famous phrase, uh, suffer in silence or be desperate in silence 
And one of the things that I hope that a group like ours can become is that when we're, we, we find ourselves in these place, places of desperation, that we not only do we tell God about it, but we tell each other about it. And that we as people are just ready to receive it. It's not that we have to fix things for others, but we just help them carry the burden. Because what that does, it exposes Satan's plan to get us to go the other direction. Because we're going to hold each other accountable to staying oriented to God. And if you'll remember that, if you'll remember in David's life, after, he, after Jonathan died, did he have anybody to do that for him? Not really. Yeah, and Nathan, but Nathan had to kick his, he, he was more of a butt kicker than he was, than he was, uh, there you go, there you go. And that's okay, that's okay. But hopefully when, Nathan shows up after the fact, right? All right. One of the realities about our culture, uh, the state of our country, we talk about that. And we would say, good or not good? Yeah, miserable? I'd say it's not great. I mean, we're, I mean, I, I really don't know what year I would say, put my finger on it, uh, but from uh, September 11th, you know, the aftermath of that, our country came together in a strong way. But since then, it has being, been being pulled apart. And one of the ways that we can help our nation is for followers of Jesus to help each other when they're in desperate places. Because that is a compelling means of evangelism. When we have relationships with men, the other men that hold us accountable to our desperation, our times of desperate moments that keep us from twisting off the off the ledge, you might say, other people want to be a part of that. Definitely something to ponder. Verse thirty-seven is interesting. You provide a broad path. For my feet so that my ankles do not give way so remember how this how this section of the psalm started a back in where were we at verse uh, 30 31 as for god his way is perfect the lord's word is flawless so he talks about this path that is another way to say way. Thank you, Kurt. Good job. There we go. You have provided a broad path for my feet so that my ankles do not give way. Does that bring to mind anything that Jesus said about a path or a way? Okay. So what is it? So Kurt said narrow. Yeah. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, wide is the way that leads to destruction and many find it. Narrow is the way that leads to life and few find it. So what is David, 
What is David saying that is different from what Jesus is saying? And are they, in fact, saying the same thing? Well, it talks about the broadening or the broadened path not causing his ankles to turn, which to me almost implies it's not getting wider, it's getting smoother. Smoother, oh, that's good. I like that. Let me throw this one at you. And we can use, we can use the... Uh, what we're going to get into next week because we're about out of time as, a, as an example. So when Jesus says to love your enemies, to do good to them, and to pray for those who persecute you, that that is part of the narrow way, right? And when you first started learning about that, it's like, how do I really do that? And it's like there is this, especially when you're hurt by an enemy. Well, that, that's, what, that's what enemies do, right? Invariably, enemies hurt you. Or they try to hurt you. They try to take something from you. Um, sometimes I think we think people are our enemies and they're really not. They just disagree with us. And that's another, that's another cultural thing that we're trying to navigate right now. But... And it's like, nope, there's no way I can do that. No way. But that hurt is too acute. No way. And then there's something that shifts in you. And you, you choose to make a choice, and it's always a choice, that I'm actually going to do something to will the good of my enemy. That's what loving an enemy is. So I'm going to order my life in such a way as to help build and lift them up. It's like, oh God, this is probably just, I'm just probably going to get hurt worse. You know, they're going to come at me or, or whatever. And then you do it, and maybe something good happens out of it. Maybe something doesn't. But then you see, okay, maybe Jesus is right. And then you do it again. And then you do it again. And this thing that at the beginning was this how, no, no, mm mm, becomes, ah. This is actually the way I was made to live. Because when you ponder it, the whole scripture is a grand story of God loving his enemies. From Adam and Eve, when Adam and Eve ate the fruit, they became an enemy of God, right? His first act towards those newfound enemies was to clothe them with skins instead of the fig leaves that they had made, right? And so and then you, you get to, to Abraham, same thing. You're, you're, you're my man, Abraham, right? And then Abraham, it's just like, it's like a chump. Uh, but God still pursues him. Um, and so this is, this is the nature of God. God would never invite us into a way of life of loving our enemies that was not already a part of the very center of his character. Right? Remember from last week, the five? Compassionate, gracious, 
slow to anger, abounding in love, faithful. That is not just for the people who are cooperating with God, but that is how God, God acts and responds to all people. So, it's when we make this journey that I think, whew, this narrow path, when we felt like that, that oh, that narrow path's actually going to rob me of life, we actually come to the realization through active listening and putting it into practice becomes a wide path. You know, you'll talk, you'll you'll hear um, like like a. A basketball player. This is this is the thing that comes to mind the most in a game, and they'll and they'll go off for like fifty points or something like that. And you you know how how do they how do they how do they talk about that experience in the post game conference? That's right. The basket looks like it was this big. It's like they couldn't couldn't miss. That is the same with following in God's broad path. It's like whoa. This is easy because you become convinced that this is the good way. Utterly convinced. And it's, all, it's, it's always a journey. So no, ma- no matter where you are on this, on this journey, don't beat yourself up unless you're heading back this way to this more narrow, narrow oh God, this is robbing me of life. Uh, uh, uh. All right. Any questions? All right. So just notice in verse 38, and you notice this in the Psalms. It's like, David, can you please stop talking about your enemies? Please. And then he, he, really, he really hits a switch here in verse 38, and the rest of the Psalm is like, all right. We're going to have to really figure out what's going on here with David, and then especially relative to what Jesus says about enemies, which we've talked about a little bit today. Questions? All right. Well, so here's your challenge. So I want you to ponder the teachings of Jesus. Um. And maybe go read the Sermon on the Mount sometime this week. So that's Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And when you find yourself reading the Sermon on the Mount or pondering another teaching of Jesus, just ask yourself, where are you relative? Does it feel really narrow or does it feel really broad? And if there's something that you run across that feels really narrow, just ask God the question, God, how can you help me to see this as this beautiful and glorious way that you have made me to live in the world? To start on that journey to this broad way. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for our time together uh, each Tuesday morning. We pray that uh, your way will have its way in all areas of our life today. And God, if there is a part of us that feels resistant, Lord, I just pray that as we give you permission, that you'll just reveal to us what the holdup is. 
pray for Pastor Kurt for continued healing on his neck and wholeness and look forward to having him back together with us really soon. Pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said. Grace and peace, y'all.